Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Anybody joining us for the first time tonight? Welcome to you. Welcome back to everyone else. I like to begin class by asking you to talk to each other a little bit before we meditate in the service, the intention that against the stream is a place to build community, not just to meditate, but to meet other meditators and start to uh, connect. It's one of the central tenets of Buddhism to take refuge in the Sangha. Sangha is the word for uh, community and the importance that what we're doing is relational. It's about how we speak to each other and listen to each other, relate to each other, as well as ourselves. So much of meditation is about training our own minds and uh, the internal practices, but um, so much of Buddhism is also about the external and the relational aspect of life, which is almost all of our life. How do we relate to the world, to each other? I'm going to talk tonight about um, sort of three different aspects of meditation, learning to ignore your mind, the concentration-based parts of meditation that feel quite good and the initial for most people, the initial aspect of meditation, which is learning to ignore, to, to disconnect, to turn out, tune out from what your mind is up to. And um, then the aspect of learning to train your mind rather than ignore it, to uh, train it to be mindful, training the mind to be here, to be present, to be open, investigative, training the mind with compassion, uh, actually in place, implanting and, and uh, inclining the mind towards compassion and forgiveness and love and uh, acceptance, appreciation, all of those positive emotions. We have to train our heart and our mind to, to be more kind to ourselves and to each other. And then the aspect of meditation, which is uh, neither ignoring nor intentionally training, but observing, watching, watching the mind with a sort of non-reactive awareness of, oh, look at what my mind's up to. And I'm not trying to make it be compassionate or forgiving. I'm just, look at how angry my mind is. And that meditative awareness of just being present with what is without replacing or uh, inclining it in any direction, just observing. So I'm going to talk about some other things, but in some ways, these three aspects of meditation, ignoring and uh, avoiding and enjoying the relief of coming back to the breath, coming back to the present and, and just shut the fuck up <laughs> to your mind, coming, you know, just not engaging with it, ignoring it. Or the kind of being aware of your mind and replacing training, 
developing healthy mind habits or that practice of open awareness of just observing, not ignoring it, but also not manipulating it, just watching, observing. So when you think about these three practices and where you're at, and some of you, maybe all three, you know, skilled meditators have been practicing for some time and, and you know, sometimes it's appropriate to ignore, sometimes you're observing, sometimes you're training. If you're new, maybe you're kind of just like, hey, I'm really quite interested in ignoring my mind. <laughs> I'd really like to learn how to do that. It sounds like a relief. Or I'm really quite interested in training my mind to be more kind, to be more loving, because it's not. It's critical. It's judgmental. It's filled with its own self-centered insecurities. Or maybe you're at the place of uh, observing and more and more interest and effort towards the um, non-identified uh, awareness of uh, what the mind is up to, seeing it clearly. So in your small groups, introducing yourself to some people in the room, hopefully that you don't know so well, if you're regular and you know most of the people, that's okay. Um, but talking for a minute of where, where do you find yourself right now these days in your meditation practice are you focusing on training the mind to be more compassionate or something or ignoring the mind are you still coming back and kind of disengaging from what the mind is doing coming back to the breath the body the first foundation or are you doing some third foundation observing non non-interfering awareness of the mind does that make sense for a topic ignoring observing training so find a couple people in the room that you don't know maybe groups of three and then take like one minute or so each to, to introduce yourself and to talk about that and i'll put you in breakout groups at home take about a minute and then give the next person a chance to talk about their practice Establishing a posture for meditation. Finding a way to sit that is upright, but not rigid, relaxed. Allowing any unnecessary tension to dissolve, to go. Allowing our eyes to be gently closed, our hands to rest on our legs or on our lap. Softening the brow, the eyes, the jaw, shoulders. Bringing the intention of kindness, friendliness.
the intention to be accepting of our experience. And to meet the body, the heart, the mind, all of the experience in meditation with as much kindness as we can. And beginning with the first foundation of mindfulness, disengaging from the thinking mind, bringing our full awareness into the body. Present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness. But focusing it on the body sitting and breathing. As we begin to learn to disengage from the thinking mind, to ignore the mind, let the mind be in the background. Bringing the sensations that the breath creates to the foreground of our awareness. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in by paying close attention to the sensation the breath creates at the nostrils. To the texture of the breath, the duration. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Give your full attention to the breath. And of course, the attention doesn't stay. It's a process. We get re-involved in thinking about the past, the future, hopes, fears, regrets. Gently return to the breath, disengage from the content of the mind, come back over and over this first aspect of practice breaking our addiction to thinking, our identification with the mind. Come back to the breath over and over, but do so with kindness, patience, acceptance, 
Experience the relief of taking refuge in the present time experience of the body, disengaging from the past, the future, the plans and memories of the mind. This in itself is an important part of our practice. But I invite you to now shift intentionally, engage the mind. By spending a few minutes with the loving kindness phrases towards yourself, training the mind to be kind by saying to yourself, may I be happy, may I be at ease, may I be free from suffering. May I be happy and content with myself just as I am. May I be at ease with this mind, this heart, this body, in this world. May I learn to be at ease. May I be free from suffering, the suffering of attachment, clinging, 
the suffering of anger and aversion, the suffering of taking everything personal, self-centeredness. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. Over and over, replacing any thoughts that are coming in with these simple phrases, training the mind to be kind to yourself. As you repeat the metta loving kindness phrases, don't get too involved in how they feel. Just keep saying them, whether you mean it or not, whether it feels genuine or not. It's a training. It's a practice. The aspiration towards happiness and ease and freedom is an act of kindness towards yourself. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. Slowly over and over.
creating these neural pathways, this friendly sentiment towards ourselves, towards happiness, the happiness of contentment, learning to be at ease in the midst of both pleasure and pain, joy and sorrow. Free from the self-created suffering of clinging. And learn to let go. Free from the self-created suffering of anger, aversion, resentment. As we learn to have compassion for pain, to accept it, to respond wisely. Letting go of the loving kindness practice, come back to the body sitting, present time awareness of sensation, emotion. Sound, smell, taste. images and the thoughts that may arise and pass through the mind. The last few minutes, open awareness, non-directed, non-interfering, non-judgmental present time awareness. Allowing whatever thoughts to come. Allowing whatever sensations are here to be met with awareness, whatever emotions.
And if you can, see what it's like to expand awareness, to be more inclusive, more open, more spacious. Give your thoughts more room. Let the mind be as vast as the sky, beyond the room. Awareness is so much bigger than the body.
taking a moment to reflect on the different um, qualities of the three instructions I offered and practices you just did. That um, experience of putting the effort into ignoring our minds and paying attention to the body breathing, the sensations, narrow focus. what that feels like and benefits of that it's nice to have a break from the thinking mind nice so it feels so good to ignore it for a little bit even if it's just a breath or two and then you get think again you come back breath or two but that permission and and effort to ignore the mind or the training instructions the loving kindness of that i'm going to replace whatever my mind wants to do i'm just going to make it say this shit over and over may i be happy may i be at ease may i be free from suffering and then your mind starts thinking may i be happy may i be at ease and that training that replacing practice of inclining the mind training it, directing it Or that last part of like non-direction, non not trying to pay attention to the breath, not just open, open awareness, non-interfering, let yourself think, let the thoughts just come and go. I hope you get a sense of that. And as I said in the beginning, some people, um, some of you have been practicing for a long time. And so, of course, you're aware that uh, when we practice Buddhism, especially in this kind of tradition of Buddhism, you get this whole kind of um, toolbox of meditations. You get the mindfulness practices, and then within the mindfulness practices, you get the four foundations, you get the Anapanasati, the 16 reflections of breath awareness, you get um, the engaged mindfulness into to everyday life. But in, in meditation, I primarily teach the four foundations, the satipatthana, the four, four aspects of mindfulness. But then you also have the, uh, in, in our tradition, the Brahma Viharas, the heart practices, loving kindness instructions, forgiveness instructions, compassion, appreciation, equanimity, these other training, mind training, inclining uh, practices. Which in some way I feel like lead to um, that third part of uh, not so much effort, but it's, it's hard in the beginning, if you haven't, I think of the spacious open awareness practice um, as a little bit of a, as a second, you know, 2.0 or, or a little bit advanced. Like if you're, if you're brand new to meditation and you just say, oh, I'm just gonna let it, then you just sit here and you're totally in, 
evolved in your thoughts and you're identified with them and it's it's kind of not really meditation until you've on some level trained your mind with the first two levels being able to direct it being able to concentrate it being able to ignore our minds being able to focus on the breath even if it's just for a couple of breaths and but that skill of being able to choose to come back to it, say oh i'm thinking again disengage involved in thoughts again disengage and once you can do that then that third level opens up of oh what if i just watch my mind i don't have to constantly drag my attention back to the breath And part of the, I don't know, question or is each of us looking at, well, what, what, why am I meditating? What is my goal? What is my, what do I hope to get out of this? What am I, where am I trying to get, you know, is there a goal? Is there a clear aspiration? um because depending on what you want uh, then there's different techniques for different intentions and that i feel like i would like to reflect on that bigger bigger question which is are you interested in uh meditation to create a uh experience and my sense is uh, meditation's become so popular in the, over the last few decades and it's become popularized and you know uh monetized and apps and you know uh, all kinds of different i was watching um the new season of survivor this week <laughs> and um everyone on survivor meditated and it was this whole like one was this like young yoga teacher lady who was like I'm a meditation teacher and she's like it's so great here because everyone was meeting on the beach every morning and meditating and there's 30 people or whatever and uh, like there's this time in our culture and they're like they learned it in yoga or they learned it one's a fireman he's like yeah we do it at the fire station or like everyone's meditating and of course that's not true for the whole world but for this group of diehard survivalists they all had some level of meditation um and i was interested to see like oh what are they doing and how much of med you know like these days there's like the singing bowl meditations there's the yoga nidra meditations of course tm continues to be transcendental meditation continues to be very popular and um mindfulness you know all of the different apps that have uh come in and some of them are in line with as as buddhism has been as mindfulness has been secularized and taken out of context of buddhism and just turned into a mindfulness meditation application on your ipad or <laughs> whatever it is uh, some of it continues to it loses some of the buddhist teachings it loses some of the um instructions that that are traditionally included in buddhist mindfulness 
but even just thinking for yourself, usually when you meditate, are you looking for an experience, an altered state, that sort of motivation of like, I want to meditate to even uh, the way that mindfulness had been first popularized in I think American culture, which was mindfulness based stress reduction and this way that John Kabat-Zinn and these, uh, you know, teachers said, we'll, we'll pretend like this isn't Buddhism, we'll teach you mindfulness, and it will help you reduce your stress. And they did all these studies on it reduces your stress it, it. Um, and then so there's all these people like I'm stressed, I want to be less stressed. That's my motivation. I will motivate, I will meditate to reduce my stress. Or, you know, people who go to, um, you know, the sound baths or stuff like that, which is like, I want to go have like a pleasant experience. Uh, I want to, you know, that's just feels good. Just lay there and they ring all these bells and they, you know, fucking awesome. What a fun pleasant experience to have total relaxation and now my experience and and uh you know i i came to start practicing buddhism not because i wanted uh, a specific ex experience out of i was i wasn't looking for a stress reduction or a relaxation um i was suffering and i knew i was suffering and i was told meditation will help you end suffering and you know and as i started to study buddhism it became clear uh, that what the buddha was teaching was a way to no longer experience suffering and that it wasn't necessarily going to be relaxing and pleasant and um, a feel good sort of zen out, whatever we want to, uh, but that it was a, a, a way to train our minds. Rather than meditation as um, to create an altered state or a transcendental or tra transcendent state, um, but meditation to create altered traits, alter how we relate to what's causing suffering in our life. The causes of suffering, the conditions that lead to suffering. But what's clear is that this first practice, what's clear to me anyways, is this first practice of learning to ignore our minds. And in some ways, the first foundation of mindfulness, which is ignoring the mind and giving our full awareness to the body, usually focusing on the breath, but it's more than the breath, it's the whole body. The breath is the initial instruction. Our human minds create almost all of our suffering. The way that the Buddha, uh, says it in the Four Noble Truths, the core Buddhist doctrine is that the cause of our human suffering is repetitive craving. Craving for sense pleasures, craving for permanence, craving for non-existence. 
And where do you experience that craving? I mean, yes, there's sort of, there are physical cravings, right? Like sometimes it feels like there's this physical craving, but mostly it's your mind saying, it, it, you know, it's your mind saying, you would be happier if, or you'd be less unhappy if. It's the mind that is primarily the, the engine of the craving and the suffering, or at least the, maybe not the engine, but the, um, um, the delivery system is the part of us that says you need it to be different than it is. It all comes in thoughts. You can't, this isn't good enough. It's not good enough the way that it is right now. It needs to be different. Craving for it to be different. Usually more pleasant, right? Isn't that your experience? Like usually that conscious or unconscious thought that says, I would be happy if it was felt better or less worse, less, less unpleasant. The pain would go away. If the pleasure would sustain, then I'd be happy. Whether that's pleasant sensations or emotions or experiences, sensual experiences. So there's so much relief in the first found that first practice of learning to ignore your mind. That temporary feeling of like, oh, it feels so good to not be involved in the craving, planning mind, judging mind, fearing mind. What a, what a relief to disengage, to take refuge in the just the present here. Right now, it's like this. And I like to frame it as, um, I don't know if this makes sense to everybody, but I like to frame that first phase of practice as uh, breaking the addiction to our minds. Does that make sense? Do you feel like you're addicted to your mind? My, my sense of addiction, addiction is like any sort of uh, compulsive, uh, repetitive uh, thing that we do that actually leads to harm. Any sort of compulsive behavior, repetitive, uh, compulsive behavior that, that harms us. And probably if we were all honest, we'd all say, yeah, like I harm myself with my thinking and by taking it personal. And I'm do it compulsively and repetitively all day, every day. I harm myself in my own mind. The untrained mind is not very skillful, not very kind, not very loving, not very wise. So part of the uh, foundation we have to build is that ability to choose to disengage from the mind, to come into the direct physical experience of just this breath coming in, just this breath going out. Thoughts are still there. And this I feel like is so important. And I know I'm speaking to the 
you know, converts or whatever, you already know this, but the uh, most people probably already know this, but the greatest misconception, misperception, maybe it is, of meditation is that meditation is stopping your mind. How many times, maybe you thought that, or maybe you still think that, like a good meditation is when my mind stops, or that's the goal. I, or how many hundreds of times have I heard people say, like, I just can't meditate and my mind won't stop. And like, where'd you hear that? Why? You know, like meditation just has bad PR somehow in the whole world that meditation is somehow about stopping your mind rather than this simple reframe understanding that there is a part of meditation which is about learning to ignore our minds, but not stop it. It doesn't need to get quiet and still and you guys got to just let that fucking shit show go on while ignoring it come back to the breath, come back to the body, let whatever's going on in there go on. Now, sometimes, of course, the mind does get settled and you'll experience tranquility and stillness, but I feel like it's such a, a, a barrier for so many people to, med to really committing and following through on meditation because they have this idea that my mind is supposed to shut up. And then I'd be happy. Again, more craving. If my mind, I would be happy if, my mind would just shut the fuck up, then I'd be happy. But it doesn't do that. It keeps judging and comparing and planning and craving and remembering the good old days. Now the second This is where it's tricky because that's useful. It's a, it's, a, it's a useful thing. I don't want to dismiss it. Concentrating is useful, but it has a limited, um, it's limited. It's usefully, it's limited usefulness or whatever, whatever, you know what I'm trying to say. It's useful, but it, um, It's not a good strategy in the long run, just ignoring the mind all of the time. And so this is where the second set of instructions, the second level of our meditation practice has to click in. Yes, we have to break our addiction to our minds. But it's like um, using the term addiction. You know, a lot of our communities in recovery from from addiction and there's different kinds of addictions. There's the like substance abuse, you know, alcoholics and drug addicts, where it's like, you can stop, right? There's a whole bunch of us, we stopped decades ago. So, or some of you, you know, however long ago, you can stop abstinence, not go, I don't drink. I haven't had a drink in 35 years, abstinence. But you can't stop thinking. You can stop drinking, but you can't stop thinking. So the kind of breaking our addiction to the mind, this learning to ignore it, we actually have to kind of go into that second level of, I got to train the mind and because I ha I'm going to have to keep thinking. You know, I, I, it's, not, it's not sustainable to just walk around ignoring my mind all the time because I got to make plans and <laughs> memories keep coming and I, I got to think about stuff. 
So I've got to train my mind to be more wise, more skillful, more. Uh... And so it's a little bit more like um, a food addiction. If you want to think about your addiction to your mind, think about it as though you'd become addicted to unhealthy foods. We've become addicted to all of the unhealthy parts of our uh, mind. And then in recovery from food addiction, we are going to say, okay, we, we have some bottom lines and, you know, I don't eat the sugar and the uh, flour and the, whatever it is. Like there's some things that I abstain from, but also I need to eat the vegetables and the whole grains and, you know, I got to eat the, the good shit and not, and, you know, I don't get to not eat. I don't get to not think. So I have to find, uh, this is where the training, the loving kindness the compassion, the forgiveness, trying to train the mind to, to think more about being loving and generous and not so selfish and self-centered and fear-based, but more uh, a mind that is friendly, compassionate. Now, the repetition of phrases as part of the Buddhist meditation practice. It's also a temporary, uh, it's also concentration. It's also avoiding, right? Like when we're doing the, may I be happy? May I be at ease? May I be free? Skillful, useful. But it can also be misused. We have to be careful here, getting into the subtleties of meditation practice because You're also choosing to replace the thoughts, to ignore what's going on there, to just put in the positive, just put in the, I forgive you. I have, you know, I care about you. May I be happy? May you be happy? Just, and there's a danger in the long run um, of using these practices to uh, never get to that third level of just being with what is. Not constantly needing to manipulate and train and control, but sometimes getting to the third level, which is being with what is. And the mind is angry and there's sadness and there's grief and there's pain here. And learning to just be with our pain without covering it over too quickly with, well, I better put some loving kindness in there because I'm in pain. Sometimes just being with the pain. And some meditation practices, I'm a big fan of the repetition of the um, kind of heart practices that we do in Buddhism because we do them in conjunction with the mindfulness. And the, the, the goal of learning to be with what is. But there's a lot of practices um, that are repetition, like mantra practices. And maybe you're just saying a, a mantra over and over in a foreign language. You know, you've got your Sanskrit TM mantra or, or even in Buddhism, you know, I, how many Buddhists do I meet that are like just chanting Om Mani Padme Hum or even, you know, one of the you know, Thai chants or something like that. And it's like, you're just saying these words over and over and it feels good actually. 
mantra practice, like breath awareness practice. It's a concentration that feels good because it stops the discursive thinking and it lets you replace it with these phrases. But ultimately, it's not leading to compassion for your pain. It's not leading to non-attachment to pleasure. It's just, it's again, that first let you're stuck in first gear. <laughs> stuck in avoidance. And I'll say it over and over. Sometimes avoidance, abstinence, absolutely the right thing to do. But if you're interested in the Buddha's teachings on here's how we actually get free from suffering. Here's the path to end the clinging, the craving, and the self-centeredness that caused human unhappiness. Concentration practices by themselves, like mantra, aren't going to get you there. So part of the other training aspect of the mind, when we go beyond in the mindfulness practice, when we go beyond um, just focusing on the breath and body, and we open to the second foundation of mindfulness, training the mind to investigate what is pleasant, what is unpleasant, what is neutral, what is the feeling tone of our experience. The sounds, the sights, the smells, the tastes, the breath itself, the emotions that are happening, the thoughts that are happening, all have, we, we perceive them all as like, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant. And some of them are neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Now, the, I put this also in that same second category. We're no longer ignoring, now we're training. Now we're investigating and we're training not just through the phrases, but through present time investigation. And then some of you've heard me talk about this before. There's two schools of thought. Some Buddhists think that if you just bring mindfulness to the feeling tone, just bring mindfulness to your pain, just being mindfulness to what is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, the awareness itself will lead to having compassion for the unpleasantness. If you just turn towards it and investigate it and acknowledge, this is a painful sensation in my knee. Let that be your meditation. Pain in my knee, pain in my knee. Let me investigate it. That compassion will arise spontaneously and naturally. Some, me, <laughs> tend to teach and, and practice rather than waiting for compassion or non-attachment to happen as an outcome of awareness, of mindfulness, actually incline, you train yourself to meet your pain with friendliness. Again, this training, not, uh, you know, the third level I'm talking about non-interfering. And so sometimes in that non-interfering, you're just with your pain and you see uh, pain is here and compassion is here too. It's happening. Eventually, it starts to happen all by itself. My own encouragement and, and my own practice has led me to, uh, I have to keep um, inclining, keep uh, intentionally trying to meet what I identify as unpleasant with compassion. I have to keep intentionally trying, you know, encouraging my heart and my mind to let go when I see myself that I'm attached. When I identify, mindfulness identifies this as clinging, this is aversion. 
this is self-centeredness and then that dharma voice that comes in and says let go you know what to do let go you know what to do meet it with compassion now sometimes the internal experience is i know what to do but i can't do it i know i'm supposed to meet this pain with compassion but it's just not here yet i know i'm supposed to meet this clinging with non-clinging with letting go but i just feel too attached <laughs> i just can't let go yet even though there's that buddhist knowledge that says let go and that other part that says go fuck yourself not ready to let go yet what i'm saying making sense so far that first maybe i, don't, I want to use the driving analogy like of a stick shift of like um you know liberation is fourth gear in order to get there you gotta learn to first gear first foundation present time learn to ignore your mind first gear second gear training the heart practices the second foundation of mindfulness third gear observing what learning to be with the mind state without replacing them just acknowledging okay this is plans these are memories these are this is hope this is fear this is craving this is craving this is craving it's all fucking craving <laughs> by one you know disguise or another it's all craving fourth gear um fourth foundation fourth gear the buddha says you know this is when you'll start to recognize what's happening as it's happening and sometimes you'll recognize all of these really pleasant things happening the seven factors of awakening oh what's happening right now there's tranquility there's equanimity there's compassion there's love there's joy now that i'm not so identified with the clinging and the craving and the suffering of my experience i'm seeing there's all of these other parts there's a joyous heart there's a there's gratitude there's immense amount of love and spacious openness even though life is so painful there's all of these other wholesome mind states that are happening too I taught a retreat, I've taught a few retreats now, or a couple, um, with a colleague of mine. Uh, some of you were on the retreat in Portugal that we did this spring. And um, he likes to start in third and fourth gear, where he says, don't try to ignore your mind, just think. And um, some people really don't like that <laughs> practice. Uh, and uh, it's so different. Like for me, I'm, I have this sort of like systematic, it's what I was taught, first gear, second gear will lead you to third gear, will get you to fourth gear. And once you're in fourth gear, yes, you just let it all come and you let it all go and it's okay. And you have the ability to be with it with some equanimity and some wisdom. 
But he says, you know, it doesn't matter. Just start everybody, put them in fourth gear, see what happens. <laughs> put them in neutral, push them down the hill. Let them think as much as they want because they'll start to see by watching their mind some of these insights. They'll start to understand the impermanent nature of how repetitive thought is. And, um, and I think it's interesting, you know, to kind of, you can start in first gear. He says you can start in, in third or fourth gear. Um, my own bias is uh, what I've experienced in my practice, which is learning to ignore my mind, learning to train my mind, and learning to observe my mind has led to more ability to not believe my mind and to not obey it and to not suffer so much about what's arising and to be able to identify, oh, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant, this is clinging, this is aversion. Is what I'm saying making sense? Is it bringing up any thoughts, questions, clarifications? We can spend a few minutes discussing any questions that you have about meditation or, or where your practice is um, around these three phases that I'm talking about. Please. Um, for the past month, I've been doing the metta practice and I'd be happy these maybe free from suffering. Um, but I don't want to shortchange my long-term growth in this third phase. It's definitely uh, the most difficult. Every time we do that kind of thing here, it's hard to kind of bring it back to that first year and like realize what I'm thinking. I just get lost in sauce. Um, so I guess I'm just asking about, and I'm sure it's different for everybody. But like a, a sort of like um, meditation guide of like, oh, like do this three times a week and, you know. I'm hesitant to uh, be too directive of people, but if I were going to be. <laughs> one of the things that I, and this is my own, like, um, I don't much like being told what to do. I don't much like structure. And so uh, I think I tend to teach that way, but. Because one of the things that I like about Buddhism, it says, here's the tools, find your way with it. Now, there are some schools of Buddhism and teachers who will be very directive. Do it this way for these many, you know, these three days a week. And, uh, but one of where my mind went with that, Max, was like more around if you're going to commit to, you know, a long-term practice. I think about it more in terms of like decades or years rather than how many days a week. Um, and my own sense is that in the first five years of practice, mostly first year is okay. First and second gear for the first five years or so of practice. Um, and personally, that's my uh, uh, transference or projection because that was my, you know, my first five years of meditation, breath, breath, breath. I forgive you, breath, I forgive you, breath, I forgive you, I don't really forgive you, go fuck yourself, I forgive you, you know, like the, the loving kindness and uh, forgiveness and breath practice was primarily my practice for the first few years. 
And it wasn't until I'd been sitting for some years that I started to see, oh, there's so much more to this that I'm missing out on if I don't open to more investigation and more open, open awareness. But I don't feel like I could do it very well for the first few years, like you're saying. So I need to teach it because some people might be at that place where they're ready to transition into more open awareness practice. Um, I think it's very useful to stay coming back to the breath, coming back to the phrases in the first few years of practice. Now, if you wanted to break it down into days of the week, I don't know, like I've said before, um, you know, mindfulness Monday, uh, Wednesday and Friday, loving kindness Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday and Sunday, you know, is a choose your own adventure, <laughs> you know, sort of an every other day practice. Or if you're going to sit for 30 or 45 minutes, 20 minutes of, of mindfulness and maybe it's first gear or second gear for, you know, found, you know, investigating the feeling tone, the breath body. And then opening to the mind a little bit and giving like 10 minutes of love and kindness in there. Every other day practice is interesting, though. In refuge recovery, we say um, when you're new to refuge recovery, alternate mindfulness and forgiveness practice every other day. Uh, partially because that I, you know, for addicts, so that we don't, uh, you know, let our resentments lead to relapse. The importance of forgiveness and forgiving ourselves, so that we don't go into relapse. But that's not just for addicts; that's for all of us. Hope that's helpful. Some, yeah, please. Um, so I'm brand new to meditation. Um, so if you are, how long? Five minutes is about max that I can do. You seem fine tonight. Yeah. I mean, I can. Yeah. I can. <laughs> um, but, like, when I'm in the call, yeah. it's, it's hard. Uh, if, and I don't know if you could hear at home uh, the question is being new to meditation, how long do I suggest you as one sits every day? Um, I suggest that you try to do at least 20 minutes, start, start with 20 minutes. Now, that having been said, if you can only sit for five minutes and sit for five minutes and sit for five minutes every day and then see if that five minutes becomes seven and becomes 10 and becomes 15. Um, I suggest 20 or 30 minutes. And you know, I started meditating when I was 17 years old and mostly uh, listening to guided meditations on cassette tape that were like 20 or 30 minute guided meditations and I would just put it on and I would listen to it. So that's okay to do. Totally okay. I, I encourage you to listen to guided meditations. Um, now, there's all of these apps out now that only give you these like 10 minute or 15 minute meditations and I think they're underestimating our capacity. I know that I was a crazy drug addict teenager and I could sit there for 20 minutes and listen to I wasn't good at meditation, but I could listen and I could sit there and and I was sort of wasn't given the choice. They didn't say like, here's a five minute one or a 10. Here's a 20 or 30 minute meditation. Listen to it. And so I was desperate enough that I was like, OK, I'll just listen to this every day over and over until we internalize the instructions. But there's so many good guided meditations. If you like mine, they're all recorded from this class, you know, back for decades. <laughs> um, 
but you'll find other voices that you like. There's so many good guided meditations, but my encouragement is at least 20 minutes and then have a goal to go up to 30 or a, a, a strong daily Buddhist meditation practice, I think is a 45 minute sit daily. And then we want to get to a place of where we're sitting for 45 minutes and you'll get there, you know, if you're serious about it and motivated, but starting with about 20 minutes is okay. Here on Monday nights, we do about 30 minutes sitting because there's, uh, you know, new people and, and experienced people. And sitting, and do you ever lie down? It's okay to lie down on some level, but part of what we're learning is learning how to be uncomfortable and to be, so there's something useful. If you have an injury or something, you need to lay down, go ahead. But it's part of what I was referring to earlier is, are we meditating because we want to have a pleasant experience or because we want to get free? And if you want to get free, learn how to be uncomfortable. Learn how to sit with your pain. Now, you don't have to be macho or whatever the word is or kind of about it. Be gentle and move if you need to move and work your way up to it. If it starts with five or 10 minutes, that's fine. But you want to get to a place where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to be uncomfortable because I, I, I need to learn tolerance and I need to learn compassion and I le need to learn acceptance. And if I'm too, you know, if I'm always shifting away from my pain, that's actually why I need to meditate in the first place. So I don't want meditation to be more of, you know, avoidance of pain. I want to learn to be with it. Sam, go ahead. You're still muted. Rookie move. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> thanks. Um, I, my question kind of relates to the first question, um, just more in, in my experience. I just started sitting 45 minutes under, you know, past your, um, your instruction a few, a few weeks ago. Um, and I find myself, um, I find my, my, my mind naturally going towards different, like switching between gears sometimes of being like, Sometimes I find it easier just to observe. Sometimes I find it easier to um, to note. And this is unpleasant. This is pleasant. This is judging mine. This is um, comparing mine. And these, I find myself doing these things. Um, would you recommend going into a meditation with an intention of like, this meditation is just for breath? Or this meditation is just, I know that we do that with my, with the, the loving kindness and the compassion and forgiveness here in class. But do you find benefit to, to picking one and sticking with it? Or, or sometimes it's okay to switch and be like, you know what? I'm angry right now. Yeah. It's, you know, now is the time for forgiveness or. Um... Yes, it's okay to, you know, ultimately we do want the practice to become responsive to what's happening in real time and so if you're sitting here and there's a bunch of resentments coming up then yeah shifts to forgiveness um so i find a hard time answering that because 
there is also something useful to saying, I'm just going to do breath practice, or I'm just going to do metta practice, or I'm just going to do forgiveness practice, even if not much resentment is up, just as a foundational training in this meditation skill. I'm going to set my intention, and I'm going to stick to it. So both are good. <laughs> I'm going to give you one of those non-answers. Both are good. And that's all the time we have for tonight's nine o'clock. So sorry if I didn't get to some questions. I'll be here next week. Hope you hope you will too. A uh, couple of announcements. Of a day-long meditation opportunity here on uh, Sunday, July 16th. Uh, you can register to come and, and spend the day in meditation from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. where we'll do sitting meditation and walking meditation and more sitting meditation and more walking meditation. And I'll give some instructions and some talks and um, you're all invited. If you can afford the, I think it's $65 to register. If you can afford that, please register. If you need a scholarship, just let us know. You're welcome to come anyways, but any um, fees that you pay go to support the organization. So register if you can, and please consider joining us our kind of midsummer uh, day long. And then in the fall, there's um, some retreat opportunity of a seven day silent retreat up in uh, near Big Bear, up in Running Springs, which is like Arrowhead Big Bear area up in the mountains. So you're all invited to the seven day fall silent meditation retreat. Hope some of you can make it open for registration. Class is done by donation against the stream as a nonprofit organization that is totally supported by your generosity. Please be as generous as you feel like being. A suggested donation for a drop-in class is $25 at this point. And we have, you know, a few thousand dollars a month in rent and some employees. And so whatever you can give, please give if you um, would like to become a monthly supporter. Some, some of our community uh, has just decided I want to give $25 a month or $50 or $100 a month or whatever it is you want to give monthly, whether you come or not, which I like the idea of getting out of this fee-for-service model that we're in in our capitalist world. We're like, well, I, you know, I'm going to pay because I went for me rather than actually I want to support the organization because I like what it does. I like that it's available for people to come in and meditate without being charged for it. So um, if you like what I'm doing and what we're doing here, please consider becoming a monthly supporter um, if you can afford it and you feel motivated to do so. At home, the link is in the chat to make donations. Here, Tara, our volunteer, will be at the front desk and you can do cash or credit card or Venmo or she'll help you part with your money. Um, I forgetting anything? Good enough. May any goodness that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions. May each one of us get as free as possible and together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.